so good to worship and, and sing and, and uh, just dive into God's word together. That's uh, it's such an important part of what we do. And today, I want to talk about humility and hope. Humility and hope. That's going to be the title of today's message and from Psalm 131. And this idea that I want to get across is that uh, we're going to see in this passage is that calm and quiet my soul by humbly hoping in the Lord. Right? Another way you might be say it, through humility, I hope in the Lord. Right? And uh, kind of a thought with that is this. Sometimes I'm too prideful to ask for help. And I can only have hope when I take away that pride. Right? And I come humbly. Kind of a story about that. I, so I, ta- I taught this to the youth group on Friday, and then I already had an illustration, an illustration on Saturday, right? And I'm going to tell you about it. Is yesterday, we had to go get baby furniture for, um, for the house. We had, to, we had to get like a nice, I don't know what you call it, some kind of dresser, right? Right? I wanted to say amour. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Right? Amour, right? And then we had to, uh, and we got all, this different, all these different things, and we went, we picked it up. My father-in-law helped me, my mother-in-law, right? Rachel was there, and we, were, we got it all in the car, right? And we all helped out. We brought it over, and then uh, we, we, they had to go do something. My in-laws, they had to go do something before they came. And so I'm like, you know what? I opened up the back of the van. There it is. I'm like, I'm going to get it up there myself. I can do it, right? I'm like, I can, I can do it, man, right? Me and Mr. Santos, we were lifting chairs on, on Wednesday. He had me doing push-ups. I'm like, we can... We can, I can do this, right? So I go, I get a strap. I just barely get it out of the van, right? I stand it up. It's as tall as I am standing up, and it's like double as wide as me. So I throw a strap around it, and I, I, I lift up. I can't even lift it up. I just have to lean back. I lean back, right? And I start walking backwards, right? I'm like this, right? I'm like, I look like a dummy in front of my neighborhood, right? And I'm I'm walking it, right, and I so we get to the stairs to get in my house, and I, I lift up one foot, just get it up, right? I get the other foot up. I get to the second step, and I, 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 hit, I can't get my foot high enough because it's too heavy, and so I, ha- I stumble back down the stairs with it, right? All right, let's try again, right? So I, I slowly, just barely get it. I get it into the house, right, and then it has to go to the second floor. So I start pushing it. I start pushing it to the stairs, the bottom of the stairs, and um, I'm about to put it up the stairs and just slide it up the rug. And Rachel walks downstairs. She had no idea I'm doing this. And she goes, what are you doing? Right? And she goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm getting it done. That's what I'm doing. I'm getting this up there. And then, and I'm thinking, right? And I'm thinking about it. And then I'm like, hey, Rach, you know what I'm preaching on tomorrow? I'm preaching on humility and hope and how we can't be too prideful to ask for help. And Rach says, looks at me. And I'm like, oh, I preached this last night to the youth group, too. I'm like, oh, man, what did I do? And then, right, and then my father-in-law comes, and Papa Joe, he comes, and we, we lift it up, right? No big deal. We bring it up the stairs. We turn it, right? We don't hit any of the walls. We get it in. We set it perfectly. And, um, man, I was putting my hope in myself. That's what I was doing, right? And I think there's a lot of things in our lives that we try to do in our own strength. And it's not as simple as just bringing a dresser upstairs, you know. There's, there's things in relationships. There's things at work. There's things in our hearts and our minds. There's, there's things that God has asked us to do, and we're thinking we can just do them all on our own. We can do it all on our own, and that's not the case. And Israel had the same problem. Israel was too prideful to ask for help throughout their history, just like every other nation, 
But Israel, we're going to focus in because these are God's chosen people. And, and this is the story of uh, the people of Israel that we find in the Old Testament. And they were too prideful to ask for help too. Right, and we see it like we, we ended last week in Leviticus 26, um, which was about how, right, we got to how God was establishing this religious system, right, where they would come and make sacrifices and purify the place and purify themselves and find God's forgiveness. And because of that, they would then be able to come into God's presence at these special feast days at the tabernacle. And they would be able to walk with God um, because of their following the commandments, but also God's faithfulness. But, but we see that even before that, there had to be a consistency of humility and hope. We see it in, in Exodus. It wasn't by the power of the Israelites that they were brought out of Egypt. It wasn't in their own strength, their own weapons, their own, their own power that they were brought out. They, the only way that the, the Israelites made it out of Egypt was by the power, the wonders, the, the, the plagues, this, this glorious act of God. The only way they crossed through the Red Sea was because God split it. The only way that the Egyptians were defeated was because God brought it back. The only way that they ate when they, became, when they came into the wilderness was because God sent manna, right? And he sent uh, water, and he, he, he put water from a rock. Everything that they needed, they depended on God for. And if they became too prideful to, to have what God would give them, they would have nothing. They wouldn't make it. Right in the wilderness, the uh, the the Israelites—they've just been brought out of slavery and oppression, which they've been experiencing for probably around four hundred years. And they're in a wilderness; they're they're experiencing a new freedom, becoming God's people as God is shaping the way they think and act and live in their future. And they're saying, "Lord, why'd you take us out of Egypt? Why'd you bring us into the desert? Were there not enough graves in Egypt?" that you had to have us die out here. They, they were thinking in their own strength, thinking in their own power. Who's going to provide? How are we going to make a, a living? How are we going to do it? Right, but God provided. And he gives them all these commands and all of these, these instructions on how to become a nation, a priestly nation, right? To be, to be a blessing to the entire earth that, that they would reflect the image and character of God, that people would recognize the one and true God. But as years would go by, they wouldn't rely and depend on the Lord's instruction. They would rely and depend on their own. They wouldn't, they wouldn't come humbly to God. They would come proudly thinking they could do what they liked instead. They would turn to idols and pagan religions. and They would turn to, to, to manipulation in the marketplace and, and, and injustice in the court systems. They would neglect what God had instructed them to do as this nation. They would even, they even rejecting God as their king, right? We see in, uh, in 1 Samuel that they say, we want an earthly king. We want, we want a king like all the other nations. We don't want God to be our king. We want, we want a physical person to rule us. What are, and, and then Samuel, the judge and prophet at that time, says he's upset, he's worried. And God says, don't worry, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, right? There's this, this common theme, this this paradigm of, of pride, of a refusal to be humble, of a refusal to do what God has asked them to do, that they could do it all in their own strength, that they'll reach their hope in their own strength, that they'll create a nation and, and they'll find their own, their own gods and, and they'll be the ones who will create their own prosperity. They'll be the ones who can rule over nations and conquer. 
right? And we see that these kings, after David, these kings, they, they consistently, there's only a couple who don't, but they consistently choose their own path instead of God's. It actually says that they did right in their own eyes, right? There's this consistency, this paradigm of prideful living, this refusal to depend on the Lord, but on themselves. And it brings them right to what Leviticus 26 would happen, exile. They've chosen to follow their own path, chosen to do what they, what they want, and it led them right to exile, punishment from God, that they can't live within God's, within God's land. They can't experience the blessings when they refuse the blessings, right? And so they're set into, first Assyria comes, destroys the northern kingdom of Israel, takes them and, and leaves it just ravished. And then Babylon, Babylon comes 100 years later, takes the southern kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem, right, in the, in the line of David was, destroys it, wipes it out, takes the people as slaves, who, those who aren't killed, destroys the temple that falls, destroy the walls that falls, destroy their houses, falls, burn their fields, right? They're taken into slavery for 70 years. And they're wondering, they're thinking, what did we do? They didn't realize that their prideful living had led to the consequences they experienced, right? And that this wasn't the hope. This wasn't the future that God had for them, but they chose their own and it led there. But God in his grace, right, he brings them back to the land. After 70 years, he brings them back to the land and they come to the land and they see their temple destroyed and they, they see their walls broken. They, they see the fields and the houses, the ruins that have been just lying desolate for 70 years and God asks them to begin to rebuild, right? And they're rebuilding slowly and, and with, with, with uh, opposition from the different people groups that lived near them. And they're building this temple and they're saying, this isn't even near the amazingness of the last temple. How are we gonna rebuild these walls? You, can, you used to be able to ride chariots around the walls. And now, now look at these walls. How are we gonna rebuild them? And, and, they're, and they're waiting and they're hoping and they're saying, Lord, we don't have the strength. We don't have the power. They're brought back to their land and they realize their inadequacies. And they're coming to this, this painful truth that they do not have it in themselves to create what God had destined them for. And there's this Psalm 131. In this Psalm 131, it's a song of ascent. There's 15 of them from um, 120 all the way to 134. And these songs of ascent, what they do is they were to be sung as Israel would come back to Jerusalem for the feast days, these Sabbath days that we talked about in Leviticus, to worship the Lord and to experience his presence and to, to be together with the people and to eat together and celebrate and fast and, and listen to the word together, right? And, and they're, they're, these songs were meant to be sung as they, they came to Jerusalem to experience that. They sang these songs as they went up the hill because Jerusalem was on the hill, Mount Zion, and the temple was at the, was at the top of this hill and, and they were supposed to walk up the hill, all of these pilgrims, and they're, they're walking up the hill to meet with the Lord at these feast days and they're singing these songs throughout their history. This is it's said to be a song of David. It may have been written at the time of David. It may have been written by David, but we know for sure that it was sung during this post-exile time. 
This is what these people were singing as they came up to see their, their, their little temple that doesn't even compare to the one that was. And their walls that were still being constructed. And they're seeing all of the punishments and the consequences for their sins and for what they had done. This is what they're singing. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Look at this first word, O Lord, right? This is who the psalm is being written towards. This is a prayer from the people. This is a prayer from the psalmist on behalf of his people and himself. Oh, Lord, he's speaking to the Lord. He says, my heart is not lifted up. In your translation, it might say, my heart is not proud. That's a great translation. They're giving you the meaning behind the words. My heart is not lifted up, right? Pastor Brian says this, it's so true. The heart in the Hebrew language, what it means, it's, it's not just the heart, like a like a, a beating the blood in your in your body and it it's not just a place of emotion but it's the place of your intellect there was no word for mind this was the word for mind this is the place where where ambitions and desires and imagination and in 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 thoughts and decisions were made this is where where people were were wrestling with how do they how do they live and how do they structure and how do they how do they uh, be fathers and mothers it's all happening in this heart Right And in this heart, he says, my heart is not lifted up. My heart is not proud. My ambitions are, are not to put others down. I'm not comparing my heart to others. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have this desire and this will to be greater than other people. Right? He, he gets into this next verse. My eyes are not raised too high. Common phrase for the sinfulness of the people in Israel was they did what was right in their own eyes. Right? They saw what they wanted and they did it. They went after it. He says, my eyes are not raised too high. All of these future things that I want, all of this discontentment with what I have, always searching over, looking into the distance. What can I have? What can we do? We're going to do it all. I'm seeing it. I want it. It's going to happen. I'm going to do it. It's in my strength. We're going to make this happen. I have, I have this vision that, we, that we're going to be the best and the greatest, better than anyone else. I'm different than everyone else. This is, this is my time. This is, this is my space. This is my future. I'm looking. I'm looking, and I'll do whatever I have to do to get there. This is very countercultural. This idea that my heart is humble and my, my dreams are humble. And then he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Right, this, this word occupy, it's really the word for walking. So we have the heart, we have the eyes, right? We have what's happening in our will, we have our, our desires, what we see, and this actual act of our actions, what we're, what we're taking on. I'm not taking on two things too great for me. I'm not, I'm not taking on ambitions that are, that are greater than my abilities and my capabilities. I mean, you want, this is like the opposite of the American dream. Right? He's saying, I have a humble understanding of, of who I am. 
in what I'm going to do. And he says, things too great and too marvelous for me. This word marvelous is a common word used for the acts of God throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament. And whenever this word is usually used for people, it's talking about things that are too difficult for people to do. I just, I just started, I just almost finished working on my, uh, working on my kitchen, and sometimes I just, I'll wake up in the morning, I'll drink a cup of coffee, and I'll just look at it. I'm like, wow, I did that, you know? And then I get the caulking out, and I cover all of my bad cuts that I made, you know? I'm like, wow, no one's ever gonna see that. I'm like, you know, and I'm looking, I'm like, wow, this is an incredible, this is an incredible thing, man. I'm so proud of myself. And then I'll be driving at night, and we'll look into the stars. Me and Rach, we love going for drives. We love looking for deer and, like, like going down the back roads and just, just looking up at the sky, maybe stopping around Little River, going for a walk. And we'll look up at the sky on a clear night when there's no lights around. And you start thinking about that star. Who knows how far it is? I don't know. A light year? I don't know what a light year is, but it's far, right? There's, we're talking... Billions and millions of miles away. And these, these, these balls of fire, right, produce enough heat for, for so many years and, and, they, and they, they are able to heat the entire solar system. I mean, our sun is just a tiny sun, right? The, the, there's, other, there's other stars out there that are a million times bigger than our sun. And our sun is a million times bigger than the earth. And I start thinking wow, I can make a kitchen. But, but the Lord has created the universe, right? He's created the stars and he's created earth and he's created mountains, right? And I start, I start looking around and I, and I realize that there's some things that are a little too marvelous for me to do. I mean, there's someone, there's someone who, can, who can create, right? Create from nothing, create from his own power. Right, speak things into existence, this God. Right, and I have to have this humble understanding of myself. There's only so much I can do. There's only so much I can do, and yet I want to do even more than I can do. I have this desire to to make things last forever and to create a stamp of my life and do all of these things and we have these ambitions inside of us and we have to subject them at God's feet and say, Lord, I'm coming humbly before you. There's someone greater than me. I am not greater than God. That's what this psalmist is saying. Here are these people of Israel ascending this mountain as they look at their temple, which was destroyed and now being rebuilt, but not even to the former glory. And they're saying, God, my eyes are low. My heart is not proud. I don't occupy my things with myself with things too great and, and too marvelous. Why? Because, God, I'm not you. There's things I cannot do. This act of humility as they come before the Lord. But for what? For hope. They come in this stance for hope. He says this in verse two, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. 
When was the last time your, your soul was calm and quieted? That you spent an hour and there weren't thoughts rushing through your mind? Bills to pay, giving your kids rides to places, job assignments, tasks. You wake up in the middle of the night, oh, about to do that. I got to get that done. You're, you're constantly going through this cycle in your mind of things that you have to do, things you can do in your own strength. And sometimes it comes to a place where it's overwhelming. You say, I don't know how I'm going to do it. All of the different tasks in life, when you put them all together and you look at them as a whole, whoa. You come to this place of humility and he's saying, I have calmed my and quieted my soul. Right? If this is King David, here's a man who, who is in charge of an entire nation, who is in charge of an entire army, keeping the people safe, keeping the people uh, well-fed, and making sure that everything that was needed for an entire nation was provided. And here he's saying, I've calmed and quieted my soul. He says, like a weaned child within, with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Right? He's forming an image, a simile of this, this quieting and this calming of his soul. What does it look like? Right? This, this idea of a child who has either just got done having to be breastfed, or maybe it's a child who still is being breastfed, and, and maybe a, a minute ago this child was crying and screaming, but now it's been fed and it's sitting in its mother's arm and and, and it's just, it's content. This idea of, of having everything you need. And I, there's a new player in this. There's a new character in this psalm now. And it's this idea of a mother, this image of a mother, right? That the Lord's taking on this, these characteristics of a mother that, that God is, is providing the necessities of life for the child. That, that the child, the, the baby isn't doing anything to keep its survival except crying. But the mother is making sure this baby is fed and clothed and held and loved and spoken to and prayed over. And, right? This idea that all of the needs are met, there's a contentment with what the mother is doing. Right? This is an image of this calming and quieting of my soul that this soul within me is, is, is resting in the arms of God. And you might be thinking, well, I'm a, I'm a grown woman. I'm a grown man. I don't really want to think of myself as a baby, right? It's honestly a little strange, a little off-putting at first to say, I'm a weaned child. You don't really want to think of yourself that way, right? But I imagine that these people, these I imagine warriors, Right, these soldiers of Israel walking up this mountain to meet with the Lord on their feast day, to, to worship God and to celebrate together. These farmers, these builders, these mothers, these gatherers, these, these, these providers, these, these, these primitive civilization that's making a living off the land. I mean, that's, that's not easy 3,000 years ago. And yet they're doing it, and they're, they're saying, I'm, I'm a weaned child in the arms of God. That's what they're saying. I'm dependent. I'm, I'm, I'm desperate 
I'm incapable of myself. That's what they're saying. And I'm coming to God and, and I'm in need of all that he has to give me. Right? And I think verse three, it's the, it's the literal, it's the literal uh, description of what's happening in verse two. Right? Verse two is the image. And verse three, I believe, is the action that describes that image. And we have a new, we have a new recipient. Right? Before he was talking to the Lord, now he's talking to Israel. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. First, hope in the Lord. That word in, it's telling us the location of the hope. He's not saying, oh Lord, or oh Israel, hope in your strength. Oh Israel, hope in your chariots. Oh Israel, hope in your, your surplus of food. Oh Israel, hope. In your, in your knowledge, in your intellect. Oh, Israel, hope in your location that you have, a, you have a good geographical location. No, he's saying, oh, Israel, your hope is located in the Lord. It's not in anything else. It's, it's in the Lord. And then he gives us the time frame for this hope. Oh, Lord, oh Israel, hope in the Lord when you're scared. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord when you're feeling happy. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord just when everything's all right, when you don't need to think about nothing else. No, he's saying, from this time forth, from this moment until forevermore. Right? He's saying, from, from until forever and ever and ever, this unending time frame, every moment in between, from this time forth, your hope is being placed in the Lord in a state of humility. I love what this one author what he says, he says, the proud person looks, compares, competes, and is never content. He plans and schemes in his heart as to how he can outdo and outperform the godly. I mean, out, outperform. The godly knows that true godliness begins in the heart, that is not proud with eyes that do not envy, and with a walk of life that is not preoccupied with greatness and with accomplishments. It's understanding one's dependence. Right? I thought of it like, have you ever seen those little, those little plastic kitchens that kids play with? Right? And they believe that they're really making food. No lie. And they come, and I love it. I love the enthusiasm. They come, they, 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 they have their little frying pan, they flip their fake egg, right? And then they, they take it. They might even touch the pan. Ooh, hot, right? And they come. They come over. They come over to their mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, or somebody, and they say, eat it, right? And they want you to eat it, right? And I, and I think a lot of times in our own strength, we're like, it's like we're playing at this, little, at this little baby kitchen with all these fake things. And in our life, we're saying, I can do it. Look at me. Look at this. Look at this. Oh, look, I flipped it, right? And you bring it and you're bringing it and you're like, Lord, look what I did in my own strength. Look at this fake, look at this fake egg that I created, and God's saying, I love that you're trying, but you can't create real food on your own, right? And what God says is, why don't you come? Why don't you come with me in the kitchen? And you can sit right next to me. I'll put the, I'll put the, I'll put the step stool next to the counter. And you can come up onto the, and you can have your hands on the counter. And, and, and I'll get the oven preheated and, 
and, and I'll, get the, I'll get the stove top heated, and I'll get the pans out, the real pans, and, and, and what I'll do is I'll bring the flour out and the, and the ingredients, and I'll get the measuring cup, and I'll give you the measuring cup, and I'll hold your hand as we scoop it into the, to the, to the bowl to get the flour, and we, we put it into the recipe bowl where we're going to put all our ingredients and then, and then I'll give you the mixer, and I'll plug it in. Don't worry, I'll plug it in, and, and, I'll, and I'll, get the, I'll get the mixing, the mixing things, and, and I'll put them in, and we'll hold it together, and we'll, we'll, mix, we'll mix it all up together. That child could never create something on its own in the, in the, in the kitchen. But with the parents' help, with, the, with, their, with their, maybe the grandma, grandpa's help, right, they're going to create something. Right, God is saying, you don't have it within yourself. You're coming with eyes low and with a, with, a, with a humble heart and you're coming before the Lord and you're not attempting things in your own strength that are too great for you. But you're coming and you're, you're partnering with the Lord and you're, you're humbling yourself and saying, God, I need you. I'm like a baby in your arms, Lord. Only content because you've given me what I need to be content. Because you, you've carried me and you've been there for me. Like this is the image. This is the image that, that the psalmist is making with these people. They could not do it. They could not reach their hope without the Lord. And the same is true for us. I, I love this New Testament passage. And I believe it, it, it tells us the role of Christ in, in our coming humbly and hoping in the Lord. It says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Right? This idea of learning from him. I don't have the knowledge for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Right? This idea that Christ himself is humble. Right? The king of kings and lord of lords. Right? The creator. He comes, he's, he's lowly in heart. He's gentle and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right, and because of the sacrifice and death and resurrection of Jesus in his life, he says, come and follow me and take my yoke. A yoke is like a harness put over an oxen to pull a plow, right? It's an instrument of submission. The ox has to submit to the, to the master's yoke to plow this field. And he's saying, you, you take my yoke, right? You, take, you, you submit yourself to the Lord. You submit yourself to Christ. And the thing is, you've, you've already had a yoke on you. You've already had the yoke of, of trying to meet all the expectations and all of the laws and, and all of the things that people have put on you and you've put on yourself. He's basically saying, you take off that yoke, you put on Christ's yoke, this yoke of doing what he's asked you to do, submitting to his will, and what happens is you find rest. It's not that you're doing nothing, but you're doing what God has now asked you to do, and you're finding rest in that. And I love, Some commentators, they believe that this yoke that's being put onto you, that Jesus as well, usually it was a two, it was a two oxen yoke, and that Jesus is yoked in it as well. You're yoking yourself to Jesus, and you're plowing the field together. Right? And it's total submission, dependence on the Lord. And you got to ask this question. Am I humbling myself and hoping in him? What's occupying your thoughts? What's, 
What are the things that you're looking at? How are you walking and trying to accomplish things? Are your eyes glued to Amazon and creating a wish list and all these things that I want? This is what I want. And I want the best house and I'm gonna get the best house and I'm gonna, one day I'm gonna get that, I'm gonna get that car that I've always wanted and I'm gonna have everything. I'm gonna, it's gonna be awesome and everything's gonna be perfect. I'm gonna get that opportunity at work and I'm gonna take advantage and I'm gonna be the best and, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna create such a legacy of myself and, 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 and it's gonna be the greatest. My whole family's gonna, they're gonna look at me and be like, whoa, wow, look at him, wow. Right, and in my heart, right, I'm, I'm, I'm just desiring this in my heart. And I'm taking on things. I'm working 90 hours a week, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing all of these things to make it happen, these things that are too great for me. And then we come before the Lord, and he says, my eyes are too, my eyes are not high, my heart is not proud, and I'm not occupying myself with things too great and marvelous. And I come to this place and I ask, am I trying to do this in my own strength? And is this vision that I have God's vision? And I think sometimes we pridefully we say, I can do it and struggle until we fall exhausted. And, and maybe we've seen that in someone's life or maybe we've seen it in our own life and we just try to carry all this weight, all of these ambitions and our hearts are heavy and prideful and our eyes are looking so high and, and we're just like, I'm gonna make it up these stairs with this. And we end up crashing everything and falling down and we don't make it. This hope that we wish for is destroyed. We're like Israel walking up the mountain, seeing, seeing their temple destroyed after 70 years of oppression. And you've been trying to do things in your own strength for so long. And you're like, look at all these things in my family. Look at all these things at work. What have I done? Right, and, and, and Jesus is bringing us to this place. Have you yoked yourself to me? Have you, have you laid yourself in my arms? Right, have you submitted yourself and become dependent on me? So we gotta ask, what's occupying our thoughts? What's occupying our actions? What's our vision? What's our goals? Right, I think there's two types of pride. I think there's outright pride that says I'm the best. No one is better than me. And I think there's also pride that says, that occupies itself as well, an obsession with self that is never content and, and always hurting to a point that can never be met. And I believe it's easy to live, and I think we've been guilty, all of us, of both, of living in self-pity as well. It's called, I, I, one of my uh, teachers, he, he really showed this to me, he calls it secret pride, secret pride. This idea that the universe revolves around me and everything should be helping me and working for me. And this idea that I need everything and everybody's attention should be on me. In outright pride and in secret pride, the sin is still the same, an obsession with self, right? Not to say that there aren't moments where you need help and you need to focus and you need to give attention. But if your entire day is focused on yourself and not focused at all at the person next to you, helping somebody in need, being there, talking, being open, thinking, how can I be a blessing to that person's life? I think there's a problem, right? There's an imbalance. And so we battle these two prides. 
We battle these two prides, and both are only solved through humility. So where do you feel broken? Where might you be prideful? We gotta be humble in both, right? There's this thing called, that I see it's really with my generation, this love, the love yourself, the self-love movement, right? And there's not, you gotta love yourself and there's a healthy understanding of who you are and being content. But this idea that all your problems will be solved by just looking in the mirror and talking to yourself that things are gonna be okay and that you're, you're the best and that you can do it and all these different ideas that within yourself are all the answers. If you, just, if you just care about yourself more, it'll work out. I don't think that's true. And I don't think the answer is don't love yourself. But an empty cup can't fill itself. It has to find a source. And, I, and what I see in this passage is the psalmist saying, Lord, I don't have what I need to complete the necessities in my life. Lord, I don't have the, the vision of what you want for me. And he's saying, Lord, fill me up. Lord, make me content. Lord, allow me to see myself through your eyes. Help me stop seeing myself through the eyes of the people around me and the faulty eyes of myself. So it's a God love self. But we need to become dependent on God, not so that we can just be filled up, but we're becoming dependent on God so, so others can learn to become dependent on God. So that others, when they depend on us, they're, they're coming to this conclusion, you know what? I'm really dependent on God as they depend on God. Right? There's this thing that's happening. And I think it's one of the ways we live out this. One of the ways we humble ourselves, I believe, is, is by recognizing the people in our life that God's placed there. Right? I see Rachel, my wife, she's a gift from God. And she's been given to me, and I've been given to her. And we're depending on each other as we depend on the Lord, right? And, and I'm, I'm realizing that there's things I'm not capable, capable of that she is because God's given her those gifts and vice versa. And we're depending on each other. God's placed people in your life to depend on. But ultimately, we're dependent on the Lord, right? I think there might be unhealthy desires, like even this the $1.7 million Powerball, right? There are people who are depending on that to happen or depending on something like that to happen. Lord, if I just have enough wealth, all my problems will disappear. Not true, right? There's deeper issues. There's, there's things beyond that won't satisfy the heart, that won't satisfy this prideful ambition, that won't, that still will not have enough power as God to create the universe. It doesn't compare, right? I, I'm coming to the Lord humbly, understanding my limitations, right? I, probably my preteens and my teenage years, I, I struggled with a, probably a, a, a social anxiety. And I used to be very afraid to talk with my peers and stuff. And I remember going even to a college interview and not saying a word because I, I was afraid that it wouldn't be maybe smart enough or it wouldn't be good enough or worry what other people were thinking. I remember walking out of that interview, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I didn't say a word. And I was, I was I beating myself up because I thought I needed to have it within. It needed to be my strength, my, 
Sam, get it in. Come on. And it didn't happen. But over the last few years, learning, I'm dependent on the Lord. It doesn't, it's, it's not from me, right? Coming to this place. The people of Israel, they had no hope in themselves to be a great nation, to protect themselves, to create a great economy, to be a priestly nation. In every way, they had to depend on the Lord, right? And a lot of that is done through time. We give, we give the Lord our time, and that's how we depend on him. If you want to be filled up, if you want to know him, you've got to spend time with him. Right? Time is the most precious commodity we have. It's something that you can never get back. Right? And so you, you come to things like this. It's very similar to last week's message in walking with the Lord. This is, this is how we walk with the Lord. This is how we're filled up by becoming humble and realizing we have to give him time in our, in our mornings and in our walks and our, a, a couple seconds on a work day and helping someone in need later. And we're giving them time. Lord, fill me up. Lord, I'm dependent on you. And in that time, we're praying. We're reading. We're discussing with a brother or a sister in Christ. We're, we're sitting together. We might just be sitting in our, in our driveway with the worship song on and knowing that we had a tough day at work and we just need to, we just need to worship the Lord and, and get our hearts right and be filled up, filled up with him, right? Living out that godly character, submitting to him, saying, Lord, I'm not doing it my way. I'm doing it yours. I'm doing it yours. Right? We're submitting ourselves, becoming dependent on him, realizing that it's not in our strength, it's in his, and we're just laying in his arms like a child. Right? We're recognizing we don't have the strength. He does. Right? And I want us to think about where are some areas in our life? Where are areas in our life we haven't depended on the Lord? Where, where, where are we losing rest? What are the things that are taking us down? What are the things hurting us? What are the things we, we're refusing to ask help for? What are the things that we're obsessing over and we, we won't get them out of our minds and we're just thinking we can do it on our own strength? We gotta submit those. We gotta submit them to the Lord. It's the only way. And I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. And not that long ago, maybe a year or two ago, I was with my dad and we were, um, we were hunting um, and I was showing, I was supposed to show my friend Manny how to hunt too. Like he was supposed to come and check it out, see what it's like. And right, and we have these tree stands, right? And so my dad goes to help Manny get in his tree stand to go up. And tree stands are made with two parts, right? The climbing tree stands. And you have a part with your hands and you go like this. It's like a lever and you push yourself up and it's the bottom strapped to your feet and you lift it up with your feet and then you push it against the, you push it against the, uh, the tree and then, and then you do the same thing with your arms. So it's just like, it's like, you know, and you're just going up, right? And now I had gotten up maybe 10 feet, right? I got up maybe 10, 12 feet, maybe a little lower, maybe, maybe eight or nine feet. And, and I, uh, I realized that my, my tree stand isn't, um, it's not tight enough at the bottom, that it's a little loose. So I, instead of going back down, I'm like, oh, I, I can do it. No worries. So 
I get up and I sit on this bar, right? I'm sitting on this bar and I unhook my, where my feet are supposed to be standing. I unhook it and I'm like, I'm just going to tighten it. And the whole thing falls off and I'm just, it's just dangling. It's just dangling there. And now, now I'm like, oh my goodness. My dad's helping my friend. He's about to walk by me because he's got to go to his way down there. And my dad's Mr. Safety. And if he sees this, I'm never going to hear the end of it. Right? I've never even told him that I did this. Right? Because when he walks over, he walks over, he looks up at me. He says, what happened? I said, I don't know. I fell. And, and I didn't tell him. No, it was because I thought I could do it by myself. I didn't go down the tree or ask for help. And now I'm, I'm laying across this bar, 10 feet in the air, dangling with this, with this tree stand. And my dad doesn't scold me or anything. He just looks at me and goes, and he helps. He grabs the tree stand, puts it on the tree, and we hook it back up. I put my feet down. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here now. I'm thinking, there are things in my life where I've just, I've just been like, oh, I got it. I can do it. I'm dangling, but I don't need help. Don't let anyone see what I'm, what's happening. I'm going to get it fixed. Don't you worry. There, don't you worry. Things in my marriage, don't you worry. We're, I'm, don't look. I have it. It just fell. Right? There's things in my job. There's things. Don't worry. I'm just dangling. I can do it. I don't need to depend on anybody. I'm depending on me. The answer's found in me. I'll make my dreams come true. My hope is found in me. He's saying, you can't do nothing apart from the Lord. He's saying. You gotta come humbly before God understanding our limitations. Why? So that we can understand that God has no limitations. That he has a hope that doesn't just last for a moment, last for a day. He has a hope that lasts for all time, forever and ever and ever. And he's saying you'll never get there on your own. You'll never experience the joy that you're desiring in your heart on your own. You're never going to have that, that feeling of contentment on your own. You don't have it. He's saying, would you, would you lay down in my arms? Would you, would you allow me to put the stand back together? Would you allow me to, to have you come up on the counter and, and, and cook with me? Would you, would you have me? We've got to come humbly because our hope isn't found anywhere else. It's not found anywhere else but in Jesus. There's nothing else. God. So take this moment. Allow God to seek your heart. Say, Lord, I'm just a child and I need you. I need you, Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we look to you, the Almighty, the King, the Great Father, the Mighty Warrior, this loving and caring and just and righteous God. God, we would just put ourselves in your hands. That, Lord, we would, we would allow you to be our contentment. 
that we would align our vision and our goals with yours, that we would live out, Lord, the character that you called us to, that God, as temples of the Holy Spirit, that God, your presence doesn't meet with people through a, through a place anymore. It meets with people through us, through your church, God. That, Lord, we would carry your presence, Lord, as we're depending on you. And, and people all around us would, would experience your presence, God, and learn to depend on you. Lord, we just pray that you would, you would move, Lord, in our hearts and our lives. That we would sit at your feet, God. We would sit at your feet, Lord, in humility. Maybe today, you're, I want you saying, I want that. Right? You experience that through your faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross. But let's just say a prayer just to verbalize that faith. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I don't have the power in me. Lord, I'm your child. I depend on you in every way. Walk with me, Lord, and help me walk with you.